The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the program. This is Squawkbox. U.S. stocks lower as earnings season ramps up with the S&P 500 putting in its worst day in three weeks. Here in Europe, results due from Novartis, SAP and Alstom over the next hour. Netflix shares plunge an extended trade after the streaming service posts a big miss on second quarter subscriber growth for the first time since 2011. Uh, here in Chantilly, France, G7 finance ministers flagging concern over Facebook's Libra digital currency. Whilst Giovanni Tria of Italy tells me Europe needs a new fiscal policy. I think that we, have, we have to change the fiscal rules in Europe, but uh, this is uh, an issue that uh, we have to discuss in Europe. The EU takes aim at Amazon. Shares close in the red after the European Commission launches a formal antitrust probe into the e-commerce giant. Good morning. We are right in the middle of earnings season yes, and uh, as a result uh, across the tape this morning a number of corporate results already. Novartis is one of the big ones. Uh, all eyes on the pharmaceutical giant for its numbers today. Q2 sales at $11.76 billion versus a poll that saw them lower than that. So it is a beat straight up. $11.54 billion was where consensus sat. So the numbers are blowing past expectations on the second quarter net income of 2.1 billion that has come in uh, in terms of the numbers a little bit shy of the 2.8 billion anticipated by uh, some investors it's 2019 guidance that was increased for new focused medicines companies so uh, this is uh, an arm of the business that uh, some of the pharmaceutical companies uh, tend to have at the moment where they are pointing towards the future all of the new therapies and that is a combination of gene therapy, it's a combination of big data, new technology. They're bringing all these different themes together to come up with new pharmaceuticals. And ones are designed, of course, to, to battle some of the, the ongoing diseases faced in society. So the numbers today, strong sales, uh, double-digit core operating income growth. Uh, these numbers, I think today, if you look at the overall share price performance, we're looking for some justification in the share price action that we've witnessed in the stock up 20% so far year to date. And I think that the, the new CEO has justified that, to be honest. I know um, Juliana's going to talk to him in Basel um, over the next few hours. Uh, but he's taken on the business. He's sold drugs. He's streamlining. He's taking out non-performing lines. Got some interesting product with the FDA at the moment around sickle cell treatment. There are lots of good things to be said about Novartis at this point. And of course, with the market at the moment fixated on the fear that we've had the best of this cycle, healthcare and drugs represent a great place to park yourself if you're looking for a port in a storm. We don't quite see the storm yet, but I know people are looking very closely at healthcare. 
And I think the new CEO's got his teeth into this business. Yes, uh, Vasna, certainly well regarded by the markets. I think one of the challenges, though, is how to increase prices. And don't forget, you've got a lot of generic drugs that have been very competitive for the pharmaceutical giants. And that's been very positive for some countries to lower their health care costs. However, it's very challenging for the pharmaceutical companies. And in the States, I know a number of them had filed applications to try and increase prices. But Juliana has been just pouring through the detail of the report card and the various different medicines that the business has on the market for the performance numbers. Juliana uh, joining us from Basel this morning. What do you make of the report card that's just crossed? Well, I think you summarized it in very, very well, Karen. This is a, an excellent set of numbers, but the key here is that they upgraded their guidance. Now, you might remember back in Q1, they already upgraded their guidance for the year at that stage. They upgraded their uh, their core uh, core earnings estimates. Now they have gone ahead and they have upgraded that number as well as their sales number for 2019. So in, in terms of the guidance for their new medicines business, they now expect sales to grow mid to high single digits. Uh, this year. Previously, they were guiding to mid-single-digit and also their core operating income. As I said, they already upgraded this in Q1. They're upgrading it again, now expecting to grow low double-digit to mid-teens. Previously, that was high single-digit. So some very strong signals about the momentum that they've seen in the first half of the year continuing in the second half. Now, in terms of what's driven the growth that we've seen this quarter, again, it comes from uh, largely from two of their key drug drugs, Cosentex and Entresto. These are two very, have been very strong for them in the past, and that momentum has continued. So some very strong growth there. And as you just said, were discussing, they also have made a pretty big breakthrough in the gene therapy uh, treatment area. And earlier this year in May, they received approval from the U.S. FDA for their drug Zolgensma, which is a gene therapy drug. This is the most expensive drug in the world, more than $2 million price tag. But they have received approval for it. They have launched it in the U.S. Uh, so this is a very exciting uh, area of them, a very exciting area of potential. And the question moving forward for investors is around the trajectory of sales of this drug. Now, that price tag, and not only that is that price tag hefty, this is an entirely new area of treatment for people. So there is a question around the, uh, the, the uptake of this drug, around whether people will be hesitant to take it, given that it is an entirely new way to treat devastating diseases. Now, coming back to the stock, you mentioned there the strong share price performance they've had year to date. And the question coming into today was not whether these results would be strong so much as is it in the price already? And Novartis trades around 18 times earnings right now. But the fact that we're seeing more upgrades come through today should be enough to give the stock continued momentum. And as you say, since the CEO Vaz has come on board, he has done a lot with the portfolio. He's he's uh, He just exited their uh, Alcon eye care business earlier this year. One of the questions moving forward, in addition to uh, the U.S. drug pricing debate and what this means for Novartis moving forward, is also whether he will look to get rid of Sandas, the generics business that they has, have, given that it doesn't really fit in the portfolio that he has been putting together. So that is one question we'll be focusing on today. They've also got 25 potential blockbusters in the pipeline. So a lot of a lot of potential for Novartis, a lot of strong performance already. So overall, would say this should be well received by the market and uh, should provide some uh, some justification for the, the share price gains they've seen. Now, I will be bringing you that interview with the CEO of Novartis later this morning. So uh, look 
look forward to uh, to that. Well, with that, we'll hand it back to you guys in the studio. Thank you very much, that Juliana. I want to push on to markets. A second day of losses for the major indices as the S&P, Dow, Nasdaq all reversed in session. Investors eyeing up some of the risks at trade. Don't forget, back on the agenda for some investors and uh, some tweets and comments from Trump suggesting that there might be more tariffs against China has been negative. Back channels also suggesting that Huawei might be a thorn in the side still in those negotiations. So a little bit of softness there. Also earnings season. Investors digesting a lot of the numbers. Uh, some that are coming out after the close yesterday. We saw a lot of price action that we'll talk you through, in particular on Netflix. But when it comes to the, the action that you're seeing on the street, industrials are really lag up. And that does point to the trade side of the equation, a very trade-sensitive part of the markets. So safety in the markets too for the um, bullion trade. And gold was one of the better trades in the markets. So take a look at yields because I think if you look at this course of action, you can see investors just peeled back and that plays into the bond markets where you've seen a lot of pessimism supporting the bid for safety out there. The yields are yesterday, a little bit challenged uh, in terms of direction because don't forget we had a day earlier, very strong retail numbers suggesting the consumer is in good shape and that was then matched up by housing data yesterday showing that despite uh, the drop in mortgage rates, there's not been a lot of demand and uh, the home building market uh, is suffering to an extent. So challenging uh, levels for investors to try and wade through to just ascertain the level of interest rate reductions we might be in for, whether it's this month or potentially a follow-up rate hike later on this year. So 2.04, the level we're looking at on the US 10-year yield on the two-year, the shorthand, 1.81, the current handle. Asian markets today, another week's sort of data for Japan, exports down for a seventh straight month in June, again pressured by the US-China trade war. The stock market falling fairly aggressively. 390 plus points uh, retreat elsewhere across for the Hong Kong market right down to Australia. The opening calls, uh, the early trade in Europe looks to be soggy as well. Triple digit downbeat days anticipated for the German market and for Italian stocks when they open up for trade. You can see uh, the corporate earnings are having a big impact on this side of the world as well as we digest just how strong they are. Yeah, thanks very much indeed, Karen. Uh, I'm just having a look through uh, SAP numbers here. Have a look at the share price on SAP. It's had a reasonable uh, rebound and it's trading at 35 times earnings. So there's quite a lot baked into the price. So it'll be interesting to see how the market behaves around this because I think on a number of lines here, they've actually missed. Um, And so let's, but it's close. Uh, But let's just walk you through these. Um, the group says the um, SAP second quarter total non-IFRS revenue up 8% in constant currencies to 6.65 billion euros. Now, the poll average was 6.74 billion, so a little bit skinny there. Cloud revenue up 35% in constant currencies to 1.717 billion. And this is the coming growth area in terms of expectations. The poll average was 1.72 billion. So again, just a little light of the expectation. In terms of software licenses and support revenue, well, that was largely flat. So again, just there or thereabouts in terms of the guidance. When it comes to uh, the operating profit, up 8% at constant currencies to 1.8 billion euros, the market was looking for 1.85. Now, the CFOs come out and said, we see, quote, a very meaningful step upward in profitability in 2020. Number of one-off costs, uh, as expected, contributed to the 21% fall 
in second quarter operating profit here. They also point a finger toward trade tensions and say that that's affecting second quarter license sales, even as the pipeline remains strong. We are resolutely reiterating guidance uh, for um, the rest of the year and committed to margin expansion goals. But I would vouchsafe that in terms of where the share price is at the moment, there's quite a lot of expectation baked in, which is why I think it'll be interesting to see whether the market is happy with the guidance that's being given here, given that on a number of lines they are effectively flat or they've missed. It's a waiting game, isn't it? And uh, the company flagging up that it's going to be a 2020 story if you're looking for those decent numbers. So hold on, don't sell out, uh, hang on with us, I, I think is a message from SAP today. But in the right space, we've seen a huge pivot towards the cloud instead of having very expensive servers in, inside buildings anymore. Basically, a lot of businesses are pivoting towards the cloud, but many are still early on in that journey. How much data they've put into cloud services is still very low. So there's a lot more in terms of the trend that can be eked out of the cloud, which is, I think, why investors have been keen to be part of that space. But when are the profits truly going to justify the numbers, the expansions in the stock price? And I think that's the, the question yeah, investors and it's, have. I think it's an issue that we continue to debate around this table. I personally have a view that the cloud is seen as an opportunity by customers to actually cut spending. And that's the challenge, I think, for SAP and other companies that are putting uh, a lot of their eggs in that basket, that ultimately they've got to be able to increase margin even as they move to cloud services, because a lot of the people that they're selling to turn around and say, hang on a second, I understand that this also reduces your cost base. I'd like some of that as well, please. Yeah. Why don't you reduce what you're charging me? Right, and don't forget there's another theme too. You add 5G into the mix and the ability to get that data quickly and move in and out of different applications. That could fuel some of the appetite for the cloud. So that would be an important trend to watch as well. Let's push on. I want to talk about some of the numbers out there. In particular, Netflix, this will be a big driver for the street today. It tanked almost 12% in extended trade after the streaming giant reported a huge miss on international subscriber growth and a rare fall in US paid numbers. Elizabeth joins us with more around the desk. It was stunning on the international paid subscriber additions, a huge miss. The market was shaping up for nearly 5 million or 4.81 and they got below three. That's right and there was a lot of talk about how did Netflix get this so wrong in its own projection. So the, the Netflix had said it would add 5 million global subscribers this quarter. It added 2.7 million pretty massive miss there. A lot of talk also about this loss in U.S. subscribers. So minus 130,000, roughly 126,000 last quarter. It had expected to add 300,000. So that's the first time it's lost U.S. subscribers since 2011. And then the international subscriber growth, as you mentioned, came in at 2.8 million new additions versus the 4.7 million it, the company itself had thought it would add. So what this is coming down to is a large, a lot of questions about the factors that led to the subscriber uh, declines. So the first one was these price hikes that we saw in the last quarter. It's looking like those are starting to show up in the numbers. We had a lot of talk about the competition that's playing out with Netflix right now, and analysts really grilled CEO Reed Hastings on the earnings call about that. And finally, it's ultimately coming down to, does it have the content that's drawing people in? Now, Netflix says it does. It had a very strong projection for its subscribers next quarter. It expects 7 million new subscribers in the third quarter. And there's one show that it particularly singled out for those gains, Stranger Things. We saw that in the first few days 
of the Stranger Things release, two million downloads approximately when that show came out. So Netflix saying we have a really strong content lineup going forward. Don't make too much of these second quarter numbers. Our full year subscriber growth will continue to be strong. Um, Hulu, Sling. Prime Video, Sony PlayStation View, Fubo TV, CBS All Access, <laughs> Philo, uh, Netflix, YouTube TV, HBO Now, and I've barely even started. <laughs> and all of these are streaming platforms that are competing with Netflix at the moment. And I'll throw one other thought into this. Uh, Friends, <laughs> right? Friends is eight out of ten of the top viewed programs on Netflix. Darn it, this program was made in 1994. <laughs> Give me a break here. What is the compelling story? I, I consistently have friends on in the background. It's not sitting there watching, but it's one of those shows that has really been a driver for Netflix, just consistent viewership. Which was and made it's lost by it. Warner Brothers. That's right. And right? so what in response to questions particularly about friends okay. and losing that show, uh, the company said it it will have more money now to spend on its own content. So it's, it's standing line, by. Isn't it? Yes, Apparently. that's what they say. But analysts not not really buying it, right? I mean, that's part of the reason why we're seeing this 12% drop in the stock is that they're saying it it is too reliant on these core shows that were made decades ago. The original content lineup isn't going to be able to cut it going forward. It's funny you shout out Friends, The Office, mm-hmm. another very old series. That is the most streamed show on the service according to the 2018 data. You'd think that people would be done watching these shows and they would be pivoting towards the new content, but clearly unlimited amount of hours to, to watch television. A lot of loyal viewers for those those classics, they, they call so them. So is this cyclical or is it structural? How worried do Netflix investors need to be? I, it's, a, it's a good point because ultimately what you're seeing is how important the in each individual quarter now the content is determining the bottom line of this company. Now, if they can't succeed in bringing in new viewers and raising prices to to fund new content, this is a bigger problem for Netflix. And we heard a lot of bearish commentary after the number came out last night saying, this is it. There's just too much competition. This is a this is a structural problem for them. And this is the end of Netflix. Now, maybe not that so far. So far, we've just seen a few price target cuts this morning from the, com- the analysts who cover the company. But we'll see if ultimately it's just can't keep up. It is still the number one, you know, paid. It, it has a big lead in the U.S. market on streaming, and there's no denying that. In fact, the biggest competitor that it listed was YouTube, which has is free. So ultimately, the you know how this plays out. There's so much dynamic between the paid content, the free content. Looks like Netflix. A lot, a lot of hurdles going forward. We'll talk some more. We'll see you in a moment. Thanks very much, Elizabeth. Um, Coming up, Facebook's Libra project draws the ire of G7 finance ministers. We are live from France after the break. A CNBC signature event. East Tech West. CNBC's exclusive invitation-only retreat returns to Nanshao, Guangzhou, China in 2019. We explore all things tech from artificial intelligence to 5G. Join the world's most prolific investors, inventors, and entrepreneurs as they share their stories and celebrate innovation. Visit EastTechWest.com for an application to attend. 
The IMF believes the US dollar is overvalued by between 6 to 12 percent, while it sees the yuan, the euro and the yen in line with fundamentals. President Trump has hit out at policies from China and Europe, which he argues have caused the devaluation of the euro and other currencies against the greenback. G7 finance ministers have voiced their own concerns over Facebook's planned Libra cryptocurrency. Officials meeting in Chantilly warned the social media company it must meet tough regulatory standards, while French finance minister Bruno Le Maire said, quote, the sovereignty of nations cannot be jeopardized. Let's get out to Steve, who's knitting it all together for us in Chantilly. Steve, good morning. Yeah, the sovereignty of nations cannot be jeopardised unless it's by a supranational body. How about that? <laughs> because let's face it, there are plenty of opportunities and occasions, as Brexit has shown us, where supranational bodies do jeopardise sovereignty of nations, don't they? Or not? Maybe that's an existential question. But talking of existential questions, uh, that's why they all seem to be rounding on Libra, I think, Jeff, as well. Because you listed a whole host of things, including digital tax wrangles as well, a concern about the strength of the dollar. And goodness knows uh, the president thinks the world's getting a free ride off the back of a strong dollar as well. But these are issues which perhaps the G7 should be addressing. Maybe they are addressing, but maybe they can't address it in terms of finding a conclusion to it. That, I think, uh, in my long thoughts about this whole meeting, is why uh, they are spending so much time talking about Libra, because it, it, it's easy fodder, isn't it, as well? If you can't agree amongst yourselves about a whole host of issues, i.e. about currencies, about the global challenges to the economy, uh, about digital taxation, about tariffs, about protection, you name it, why don't you find something you can agree on? Why don't you find some low-hanging fruit? Because yes, Libra potentially, long way down the road, could be an existential threat to currencies and sovereign nations. But is it now? Is it today? Uh, and that's the question I've been having as well. But anyway, Olaf Scholz, amongst others, uh, who of course, as you know full well, is the German finance minister, was commenting on Libra and the dangers and indeed the investigations that G7 are making into it. The the G7 finance ministers and the central banks sitting together here all have grave concerns about Facebook's proposals and have set themselves the goal of very carefully checking that all current rules are being complied with and carefully checking whether rules need to be changed for the future so that we can ensure the stability of the international financial system. I mean, no one could ever accuse the uh, global nations uh, of being light with their responsibilities with their currencies and they have never undermined them themselves, have they? No, no, we did those debt figures early in the week. That's a completely separate story, okay? We're not talking about debt today. Anyway, so very interesting um, in encounter with Giovanni Tria I had yesterday. He was actually giving a, a presentation or a chat to a few Italian journalists. And I just strolled up there and asked him a couple of questions about European Stability Pact and about fiscal rules. And uh, he started off by saying, well, we're not talking about this here. Uh, but uh, but I, I kind of referenced the fact that in session one yesterday, addressing risks in the global economy and financial system was, was part of what they were addressing. And if European growth and fiscal rules and barriers to growth isn't one of those issues, then I don't know what is. Anyway, let's listen to what he had to say. We have a, a, um, a policy that want to reach fiscal stabilization and growth. The two targets should be reached together. They are complementary. But the key topic here is about the challenge to economic growth, sir. This is one of the key challenges, isn't it? Having the wrong fiscal policy, perhaps, in Europe. 
I think that we have we have to change the fiscal rules in Europe, but uh, this is uh, an issue that we have to discuss in Europe. I guess that's the line from him there. We're going to look to change the fiscal rules in Europe as well. So again, once again, the, the stewards uh, of the euro uh, thinking about changing the fiscal rules. I thought that was quite interesting as well. Uh, on digital tax, we shouldn't forget that as well. Um, I guess not unexpectedly, Monsieur Le Maire and Mr Mnuchin had quite a tough meeting yesterday. Uh, in advance of that, uh, Monsieur Le Maire told me, he said, I'm not going to wait for an eternity uh, for the OECD to be adopted uh, to get those rules out there, which are supposed to be uh, ready by by the end of next year as well. So he's gone ahead, of course, unilaterally. Not the only ones, well, the, the British are thinking about a digital tax as well, but not unsurprising that Mr Mnuchin and Monsieur Le Maire couldn't find common ground just yet uh, on that digital tax. Back to you all. Yeah, what, what happened to the Italians, Steve? From Tremonti to Trier, they've all become shrinking violets, it seems to me. The proud nation that gave us Gary Baldi and Leonardo da Vinci, why aren't they prepared to take a few reporter questions? Can I, can I be honest with you? I got myself in a lot of trouble yesterday. <laughs> I thought it was really innocuous. I've, I've actually been involved in one or two scrums in my life. Uh, as viewers may well remember, one or two in Vienna and certainly one or two in Ambrosetti in Italy where there's been like hundreds of very aggressive Italian journalists. And I literally just strolled up, asked a couple of questions in English, didn't go too well. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show weekdays on CNBC.